Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2014, Babadook. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. Did I do it, Babadook? Yep. <laughs> ba, 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 duck, duck, duck. Duck, duck. What is your obsession with independent, metaphorical, Australian no, this one came first. This one preceded Relic. But Relic, for all we talked about it, I didn't make a Babadook connection at all. And I think it's because I've seen the Babadook probably four times by now. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, do I have to watch that again? Because I don't know what it's about. You don't know what the Babadook is about? I mean, I paid close attention. Like, I actually noted it this time. But so many disparate things happen so that the rules are fuzzy. I kind of don't remember Really? Because I was really hoping you could enlighten me. Nope. As a matter of fact, we're going to stage this discussion through a series of questions posed by me to you. Go. What, in your estimation, is a Babadook? It's a... <laughs> and uh... I guess that phrasing implies that there are many <laughs> Babadook, <laughs> as opposed to the Babadook, who is apparently contained in Amelia's basement. So may Amelia. maybe I should say, what is the Babadook? Well, aside from the meaning that you could apply to the Babadook. Right. It's a monster that comes into your house by way of a super creepy book. <laughs> so it is a corporeal entity, yes? Mm. I mean, it collapses and the hat deflates or the scary claws deflate or whatever. It seems to have physical form. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's solid, but yeah, there's a physical manifestation, corporeal, but not a solid or consistent state. Oh, it changes? Gaseous and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> So you're suggesting that it comes into your home by way of the Mr. Babadook book, which is scary given that anywhere between six to 9,000 copies of said book exist. There was a Kickstarter campaign for this movie, and I think upon its DVD release, there were limited editions where the first like 2,000 copies were signed by writer-director Jennifer Kent, and those Mr. Babadook books exist. So were there to be a sequel, I guess the, uh, the proliferation problem is pretty severe. People love that stuff. 
They eat that up. Yep. Wouldn't you want a Baba Duck book? I mean, yes. Would I want a Baba Duck book? Yeah, sure. At the time, would I have paid like the sixty-five bucks to get one? Maybe not. Well, I understand that director Jennifer Kent made a short about a similar or the same story. Yep. In which case, so did you see the short? And does the sh- is the short have the Baba Duck? It is entitled Monster, and there is a creature in it with similar themes that she said kept coming to mind like she wasn't done with it, so she had to embrace it more fully. Uh, She called that monster the Baby Babadook. I think she missed an opportunity by calling it the Baby Duck. So so maybe the the book sales were dependent on the Baby Babadook fan base? I mean, I guess so. I don't remember. This is not how I came to this movie. I came because word of mouth was all over the place and Sundance was going to be its American premiere, I guess. And I was super excited. So this North American premiered at Sundance and then was picked up by IFC Midnight? Yeah. So you were there and I was like, you can see the Babadook? And you were like, the what? Yeah, I probably was there in 2014. Yeah, there was some chatter around town. Like it was, you know, it wasn't the hit of the festival, but it was something that was generating some buzz. So the Babadook is both visible and at times invisible because Samuel sees it in the car. Sees it lots of places, yeah. Get out, get out, all that stuff. And then when the Babadook presumably inhabits Amelia, uh, the dog barks at her. Yeah. Dog should have kept its mouth shut, but... Poor dog. Yeah, that's unforgivable. I don't care if you have a toothache. Once you kill the dog, you're donezo in my book. <laughs> in your Duck book? Yep. I think that's commonly shared and understood, that you could kill pretty much anything. But once you start killing animals, especially dogs, you're firmly cemented on the evil camp. Yep. And then, of course, this movie wraps up with no consequence. Like, oh, mind the stitches, dear. And, oh, it's fine. I got the stitches out already. And, you know, I killed that dog, but it's no big deal. And Sam's happy, I guess, or adjusted. But that seems to be dealing with the Babadook, banishing it or or relegating it to the basement, is her dealing with processing the death of Sam's dad seven years prior. And we're getting a little bit deep psychologically into that already. But everyone seems better. Which is weird because the ending, timeline-wise, takes place all of maybe a week after that horrendous night. I think it was two weeks because... Well, it's two weeks out of school for Sam, but he's we spend a whole week in horror. True. But she's up and around with her leg and has already had the stitches out. That was full force butcher knife over his head, plunge into the thigh. Maybe there were lots of like internal stitches because I don't think that's like a one week and done. I don't think so either. But then again, she also, when she like chased him, she wasn't limping all that much. She came down the stairs and he tripped her up. She had Babadook energy. I mean, he was tough, but he's kind of what I expect from little boys in a way. Like, or I don't know. Why does he become so sweet after she starts going crazy? Like, was he ever possessed by the Babadook? And that's my question. He's noticeably better at the end. But yeah. he, number one, he seems like he's on the spectrum and he has a little bit of trouble with stuff. Before things really start to ramp up, he's already preparing his dark gun and stuff. Or maybe that's the beginning of it. But then he gets to the point where he's yelling at the air, get out, get out of the car and stuff. And then goes into what the doctor diagnosed as a febrile convulsion. There's definitely something wrong with Samuel, but I don't know if as the Babadook's presence becomes undeniable, 
if he's scared because he's reacting to the Babadook, seen or unseen, and his it seems like his trajectory or his uh, the progress that the Babadook makes encroaching on each of them is different because she sees the Babadook at completely different times. As a matter of fact, when he sees the hmm. Babadook, presumably she can't see it at all. And vice versa. The number one Babadook no-no is to deny it. Right. And Samuel never does that. Which apparently is why he's always on the offensive. He's always aware. So much so that he can't get any sleep. That he interrupts and disrupts her life. Where she has adult responsibility. But this is what director-writer Jennifer Kent is saying. She said she was fascinated by this idea that people don't face things. I think the more clinical assessment of that would be, you know, PTSD and resulting depression from her husband's death. And her refusal to face it. And process it in a way where she says, I, I don't talk about it. But of course, it manifests itself in ways that she can't help, that everyone is aware of. And it seems like her not speaking of it, the unspoken specter of the husband is continually, you know, looming over her. So is that what the Babadook is? The denial of remorse or unaddressed trauma? Or is that maybe the Babadook's entryway into a person? Is that what makes Amelia a candidate for the Babadook. Yeah, so that's my next question. Does the Babadook gain entry because Amelia is not dealing with the death of her husband and Sam's dad, or does she manifest it? Is there a long history in whatever the Australian equivalent is of dairy, where every number of years when a single vulnerable person experiences a tragedy, the, the old Babadook gains power and moves in? Isn't that kind of what the boogeyman is? Yes, but it's important to note, there's no precedent for the Babadook. It's a boogeyman-type character, yes, but it's an entirely new creation. As unique and as scary as the Babadook movie itself. Definitely fresh, definitely a new take. But back to what the Babadook is, I did pick up that it could be a manifestation of an inability to deal with trauma or accept and process remorse. If you want to broaden it out a bit, the Babadook could also just be a outward manifestation of the monster within us, kind of like the werewolf within. Stop it. The place that you were afraid that werewolves within was going to go. And the place that Relic definitely went. Right. And so there's a marked difference in your attitude towards the Babadook as opposed to Relic. Oh, because I thought Relic was so boring, was really outspoken about it? Well, yeah. I mean, for a good half of the Babadook, I was like, mm this is like going in the nothing's going to happen territory. But then we actually got some real Babadook action. The Babadook had a real presence, even though it didn't really... I mean, Sam did more damage to his mom than the Babadook did. Yeah, because when the Babadook attacks her from behind, there's like a ripping, a flesh ripping sound or something where I thought he was attacking her, but really he was just inhabiting her. Yeah. Entering her. As CinemaSin said, the Babadook enters via the Badunkadunk. <laughs> but I also thought the Babadook could have been a byproduct of the trials of parenting because what Amelia is experiencing is kind of just parenting. And when you have a kid who's maybe a little bit more difficult, then it is a little bit more hard. Like the not sleeping thing, that's real, homie. No, I get it. And as a single parent post-trauma, when Sam's problem is is present, then she just doesn't sleep for weeks and goes a little bit insane. Yeah. 
And I was trying to understand their relationship a little better in the, in the first half of the movie. Did it seem like maybe there was some weirdness on Sam's part? Like he was maybe a little bit too attached or a little bit too affectionate with his mom? That moment where she said to stop doing that, where he gives her a big yep. hug and like, like moans a little bit? Yeah. Maybe, but I'm not sure that that was Sam's problem. I think that was his mom's problem. She is longing for touch and affection in a way that Sam can't possibly provide. And there's a weird blurring of the lines that not that's not necessarily morally corrupt. It's just he has needs and that she's unable to provide for and vice versa. I mean, Sam's six going on seven. Noah Weissman, notably six-year-old actor. I mean, definitely not 10 playing for six. Right. Paloma's five. She's in a really clingy stage right now. When Brian was in Ohio shooting, she would wake me up consistently every night, like around midnight or two or even four and want to get in bed with me. And instead of having like an all-out argument with her at two in the morning, I would just like let her in. And then it became a thing. And then Brian came home and he's like, uh-uh. And I was like, mm-mm, you don't get to say uh-uh because you're gone two weeks. And now our compromise is that Paloma sleeps at a little cot at the foot of our bed, which she's not allowed to come to until after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird. I mean, but it's not It's not weird. It's just like it's... It is. <laughs> because I did the same thing. I mean, I wasn't clingy, but I saw a ghost and I was like, nope. And I slept at the bottom of mom and dad's closet for what felt like six months to me. <laughs> And maybe it's just a thing, and I certainly don't know if we're doing the right thing. But it seems like a compromise, I think, and it seems like she really needs it. I think the absence of a definitive parental rule book means there's no wrong or right. It's whatever works. Get her to sleep. Exactly. And so I'm trying to reserve all this judgment for Amelia, but then also I'm really feeling her pain. Like when she would, when he would just like show up, and she's just like, all I want to do is sleep. So like. I don't care whatever you need or whatever you want to do, like as long as I can go back to sleep and having those kind of rage filled sleepless moments where you're just like, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you eat shit? <laughs> oh, that was rough. Yeah. I, I mean, this obviously is going to tap into the mothering thing, the parental thing, because Sam is in real peril in her mind, not because of this external force, but because she of her inability to care for herself, let alone her problem child. It's really scary because what do you do when your kid goes into convulsions in the back of the car? You're all by yourself. And, and it's a good thing that that didn't coincide with her freaking out and uh, having the episode with the Babadook on top of the car where she crashes into the other dude. He's like, oh, you're driving on the wrong side of the road with a child in the car, right? What's wrong with you? You know, and he was perfectly fine and quiet at that moment. It could have been just like a whole car full of freakouts. Right. That would have been bad. Yeah, his freakout convulsion happens after the fact, after she does the hit and run. Obviously, I relate to Amelia, but you mentioned what it might be like for Samuel. Like, yeah, Amelia's isolated and she doesn't have a lot of places to turn and she has all this responsibility and is kind of physically and emotionally incapable of shouldering it. But, like, who's relating and sympathizing for Noah or for Noah, for Samuel in this experience? Like, literally nowhere to turn, being terrorized by this thing, presumably, totally misunderstood. First of all, Noah was being sympathized for and cared for by Jennifer Kent and Essie Davis 
who were continually reinforcing his safety and uh, giving him the PG-rated version of the story, walking him through it, making sure he wasn't present for any freakout in which he would his character would be off camera. When they did do the hairier stuff, when they had to be in frame together, uh, they would always cuddle and stuff afterwards. So that kid was well looked after. But Samuel, that leads me to my next question that I was going to pose to you is that it's yes, it's strange and, and not altogether clear, but we can pin it down because we're jerks like that. What's wrong with Samuel? Like what's his diagnosis? Yeah. I mean, is he autistic? Is he a perfectly normal kid who's possessed? Because you can't pin it on the trauma of his dad because that's not even a fa- his dad died before he was even born. And, and when right. he talks about it, it happens twice. He's like, my dad died on the way to the hospital when I was being born. And it's a just matter of fact. Right. And there's no trauma there. And so something, while poor tired Amelia is just trying to live her life and do her shopping and try to ward off uh, Robbie at the nursing home or whatever, is Aww. is seemingly normal, I guess, but he gets progressively worse. And is Samuel okay until the entity of the Babadook takes over his life? I mean, I certainly can't give him any kind of medical diagnosis, but it seems to me that Sam is a pretty normal kid with maybe some behavioral issues. And the invasion of the Babadook exacerbates his behavioral problems. So he is reactive to the Babadook, as presumably is Amelia. But if we can get analytical, the Babadook most likely is a physical manifestation meant entirely to represent her suppression of her guilt grief, and grief and rage, as evidenced by the fact that when she ultimately faces the Babadook head on and they have a screaming match, it's like, <laughs> and she's like, Wah! and he's like, and she's like, Wah! and then it like backs off. And runs downstairs and hides in, the, hides in the basement. When she faces it, like depression and grief and trauma, you don't kill it. It doesn't go away. No. But awareness is the first step. It's always present, but you address it in a healthy, head-on manner. And it's still scary. It still screams at her and bends her over backwards and terrifies her. And she appeases it with the worms and it sucks the worms into its shadow corner and eats them, I guess. And then she goes upstairs and she's like, you know, it's pretty quiet today. And maybe some days are worse than others. Maybe some days she has to do battle with the demon that she's relegated to the basement of her psyche or whatever. But it's always there. What do the worms mean? What does any of it mean? But to assume that her problems are beaten is when it rises up again. And so if she always faces it head on, she can keep it in check. Even though like having a Babadook in your basement totally jacks up the resale value of your house. (laughs) At some point, I felt like the Babadook movie was some kind of weird morality tale about self-care and how important it is to take care of yourself. Because if you don't, then this happens. And it seems like maybe that applies or is true. I mean, if you have the Babadook living in your basement, you just got to make sure that you take care of yourself and it on a daily basis and, you know, take it one day at a time kind of a thing. Which it seems to be is what they're doing. And uh, there was a telling comment where he said, do I get to see it? And she said, when you're older. And is that her explaining everything that happened over the course of those days where she, it seems like she had an episode or is it fully explaining what her life is as a single mom as a result of his dad and her husband 
dying and how she vaguely associates that trauma with Samuel, where she doesn't want to celebrate his birthday, which you would think would be a good excuse. Yes, it's a reminder, but also it's a joyous occasion celebrating your kid's birth. And it's not all, it doesn't always have to be about the dad dying. If you have real trauma that in turn impedes your life because of your inability or your unwillingness to process it, that's one thing. But I don't know that everybody has to be kicked in the nuts in order to have uh, psychological you know, health. You know, being tough and, and enduring you things like builds character. Building character. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that you have to be beaten about the head and ears to be a fully formed human being. I think you need perspective. I think that if you never have to work in customer service or wait tables or whatever, then you're never going to understand that hugely integral component of service and being a customer. But I don't know. We all have our traumas. And I said for a long time, well into adulthood, that I never lost anyone significant. I, I used to say that the worst that happened was Blackie and Kurt Cobain. Blackie was our cat that we didn't name, by the way. Were the only people I'd lost. And of course, we've lost, you know, a, we didn't a lot Blackie? of people since. No. When we got Blackie, it was the last two. It was Blackie and Stripey, who we brought home, originally named. But it was better than the other two that someone else adopted that went out the door with the names of Kitty and Meowie. Wow. I didn't realize that. I always just kind of, I always owned it, even though they came pre-named. And what, pray tell, did they look like, Blackie and Stripey? A black and striped cat, respectively. <laughs> And then, of course, we lost, you know, many people after that. But thankfully, at least in this case, as long as you got to deal with the Babadook, it's better that you don't have the trauma of your dad's passing in your mind, especially you as a result. He seemed pretty at ease with the idea that he was an indirect cause of his dad's death. Seven years of being able to deal with and process that for Samuel, whereas Amelia was denying that to herself. And it's not as if she doesn't have things going on. She was very busy and had Samuel. Focused. I mean, having a new baby is hard enough and not being financially stable enough to have help on a continual basis. No parents to speak of. The best she could hope for was her sister with a young kid of her own who seems to be the same age as Sam who probably glommed onto all her birthdays. The neighbor lady, as well-intentioned as she was, didn't seem like Amelia trusted her with Sam, who was just too problematic, right? Yeah, Mrs. Roach's own vulnerability added to the tension that I felt like Amelia was experiencing. Like, in a way, as helpful as Mrs. Roach wanted to be, she almost seemed like a burden on Amelia. Like, Amelia looking at, watching her from across the way and wondering if the Babadook's going to get her too. Right. I thought that Robbie was kind of underused, though. Like, he comes, he shows up with the flowers, and his his attentions become crystallized and obvious. But she could have turned to him, or he could have shown up when things were really going south, but he doesn't. And I thought that the, any of the weirdness or the restrictions would be lifted off the two of them when she tells her job, you know, you're going to give away my shifts, you can shove it. And why don't you do that? And then she hangs up the phone and she doesn't have to go back to work anymore. I don't know if she returned to that job at the end or what, because she goes to pick up Samuel from Mrs. Roach. She's wearing the uniform. But I expected that that would be when Robbie would really come in and be like, look, I'm not here in any like weird work capacity whatsoever. I'm here solely to see you, but we never see Robbie after he learns that Samuel's not sick. And it's not like he's like, oh, well, this is too much drama for me. I didn't know you were crazy behind the scenes, you know? He just never shows up again. Yeah. And that seemed not so much a missed opportunity as it was sad for 
Amelia, who seemed like she would have had it in her to be receptive to Ravi's advances, but just wasn't in that place, didn't have the bandwidth for that in her life at the, at the time. I think there was some missed opportunity there, and who knows, maybe something was cut out. And really, Oscar kind of comes more into play after Robbie is out of the picture anyway. Who the hell's Oscar? Oscar, the Babadook. Why is Babadook Oscar? Well, <laughs> Oscar's her deceased husband. Oh. And the Babadook takes his form. And that's this is a pretty common trope where a monster will take on the form of a of someone you trust or someone that you really want to see tapping into that vulnerability like it. I mean, what better way to illustrate on screen facing your fear head on than to see your husband diagonally decapitated? <laughs> right, which maybe represented what happened to him. The whole accident at the top of the film. and Yeah, and the very opening scene without context where it was not that it was shot poorly per se, but maybe maybe it was. It was also kind of dreamy, and a lot of the things maybe seemed to be in her weird twilighty, lucid, dreamy state. Wasn't exactly sure what was happening and what was what she was imagining. Um, I mean, that's all very Stephen King's it. Yeah, but this was before the newest incarnation, and on a different continent. I mean, I'm sure she drew from many different sources, but uh, yeah, I guess an original monster. So do you think the Babadook as an entity will stay, withstand the test of time? She says, Jennifer Kent says, I don't care how much money they pay me. I'm not doing sequels. I'm not letting anyone else do that. That's just not going to happen, which is a, a unique stance because she retains all the rights, being the writer, director, creator of the Babadook character. Is this movie enough? Is it fully is I it think fleshed so. out enough? Is it strong enough? The rules might not be super clear, but the foundation is there for it to be built upon and expanded upon for sure. I mean, I guess in the same way that Pennywise doesn't take the same form all the time. And that stupid clown endures. That clown is everywhere. And all those like Last Supper paintings of all the horror icons with Freddy at the in the Jesus place and Jason next to him with the machete and like Pinhead. Pennywise is now there with his grin. But not a lot of Babadooks that I didn't see in those. To that end, where does Babadook rank not only in your own personal rating system, but in the, an overall horror genre? I'm not sure how enduring the Babadook is, especially as a one-off. I think that there are kids or there are people who have that stupid Calvin peeing sticker on their truck who have no idea about Calvin and Hobbes. And it's because Watterson never allowed any merchandising, any marketing beyond his comics. It was never a Saturday morning cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes. It just stands for what it was. And if you miss the boat on Calvin and Hobbes, number one, that's sad. But two, you don't have any reference. And the Babadook is all we've got for this character. This movie is all we have. Uh, there might be some books floating around, but there's no Babadook comic or plushy dolls or sequels or novelizations or anything like that. And I'm not sure, given the wonky rules of what the Babadook is, where it comes from, how to defeat it, what it looks like even, that it stands as a legendary creature for all time. That said, it scared me and it's unsettling. I wouldn't say that it's convoluted or ineffective in a way that you thought Relic was, but I also don't know that it's clean enough or clear enough to really stand on its own legs for all time. If you'll note in the Babadook art on the poster and on the book, Babadook doesn't have legs. Was that a joke? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a scary movie and it's definitely an all right, but I don't know if it goes back to legendary territory because like I said, I've seen this movie a few times and I still don't know exactly what it's about. I don't know that it's important to know. It's a little neatly tied up 
with a bow, in my opinion, for my taste, but still very effective, very scary, something I definitely recommend not watching at night before you go to sleep when you have a toddler whom you're expecting to invade your bedroom yeah. within the next six hours. I felt the chills, the thrills. It was scary. It made me think. The Babadook's pretty pretty damn effective. Yeah, let me ask you one more question. Babadook as an entity scary, sure. But also, Amelia's kind of scary, right? Like much of... Oh, when you get the shining picture face in the window but m- in the news report? But much of the scary comes from Oof. her. She has a great demonic laugh that I don't think was modulated. It's like a Jessica Lang terrifying, like, it's not even a cackle. It's like, <laughs> freaky, dude. When she does that that modulated shriek that has sound effects layered over it, it it's legitimately hair-raising for me. Oh, yeah. Very versatile performance in this. As sweet as pie, totally convincing as a good mom, as an adult who's trying to keep it together, really sympathetic, and then totally scary, totally off her rocker, like terrifying, like I would not want to be shut up in a house with her, scary. Yep. That's what happens when you don't get none. (laughs) Oh, is that what this is about now? It's possible. There's some element of that. (laughs) Well, I mean, Samuel certainly interrupts her, um, her self-pleasuring, uh, and that's made clear. Yep. Uh, that, w- that took a weird turn. So anyway. Is that where we're ending it? All right. <laughs> An all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our review on The Babadook. Uh, I'd really like to see one of these Babadook books, or if there are indeed unsanctioned Babadook plushies. <laughs> I think that you should have a Babadook-themed Halloween party, Wes. I really did want to be the Babadook. Got to slim down a little bit, but I figure you can just get a black coat and a black hat. When it does leap down at her from the ceiling, you get a clear view of the Babadook's face with how exactly the makeup should be done. I think it can be done. And I think it should be done. What's your list of words that you can't say? No, I'm not going to say them. I just had a list of words compiled of words that were aesthetically unpleasant. That uh, if you violated the list back in the day when people respected the list, if you violated the list, you would have to buy the entire team a boba. You know, that's not such a bad punishment, especially if you can buy yourself a boba, too. Let us know what you think about Babadook. Took me a long time to pronounce that name, but I did it for you because I love you. Our listener. 818-835-0473. Leave us voicemail or whatever movies at gmail.com. Happy Halloween. And we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.